Hello, friends, and welcome to the What Do You Know podcast. Friends, I hope this podcast is becoming something that you can come to and just have a space to think critically about ministry. Friends, my hope for this podcast is that it will become a space for pastors, youth pastors, and volunteers to share bits of wisdom and experience about ministry. Friends, we are in a place where the church is facing new challenges every day. And so, friends, I think we are finding ourselves as leaders in an interesting time and place where we need to ask ourselves, how do we lead in a time like this where everything's just going nuts? And so, friends, I want to create a space for all of us to think critically about what it means to lead in today's environment. So, friends, as always, I would encourage you to share this podcast with somebody that you think may benefit from it. I want this to be something to where we can all come and grow and all think critically about leading in our churches. So friends, with that being said, we are on episode 17, and I am excited for today's podcast. We are joined by Pastor Jeremy Scott. He is somebody who has poured into my life and my formational years in college. He challenged me to think critically about how I do ministry inside and outside of the church. He challenged me to be intentional about the way that I live my life in the everyday world. And so, friends, with all that being said, I'm excited for today's episode. Let's jump right in. Hello, everyone. Caleb, thank you for having me. I, you really set me up a little more than... I, I just hope I don't let you down after all of that. Uh, no. Just looking at how, you, like, how your ministry has affected people in the Massachusetts area. But I'll let you introduce yourself yeah, in so, context, but... So as Caleb said, um, I do live in Massachusetts on the south shore of Boston, not too far from Quincy, if some of you know where Quincy is, just south of Boston. And uh, I've been pastoring there for, well, I don't know how long, since 2006, if you want to do that math. I am the husband to Megan. Uh, we've been married for, actually, we just had our anniversary, Caleb, uh, on Sunday. So we've been married 17 years, and we have six kids, uh, ages 15 uh, twin 13-year-old girls, 10-year-old uh, boy, and then we skipped seven years. We've got a almost four-year-old girl and two-year-old boy. So um, that is life. Caleb and I, uh, we know each other because uh, I was his professor at Eastern Nazarene College for, what, two years? He got the, <laughs> he got the full two years of me. Um, and that was a lot of fun, but I'm only, I'm, uh, I, I don't teach part-time anymore. I, I teach a class now and then online, but that, that's it. So got two chihuahuas yeah that's pretty much that's i have to say i don't hear him in the background True. yeah no i'm hiding you're so, hiding yeah so pastor jeremy can you give us uh, a background of your church kind of a, a framework maybe a cultural setting sure and some of the ministries that have happening yeah there. yeah so you know every church is unique right um but north street community church of the nazarene um, has its own uniqueness when i came to the church 14 years ago there were two kids there and kind of a spattering of other kids who might show up sometimes, right? Um, and so, you know, no teens for sure. In fact, the first teen in our church actually was one of those first two kids, but um, they soon left. And so the first teen in the church was my, it was my son, really, who came at age 22 months. <laughs> so we're actually, you know, we're kind of learning as we go along ourselves here. We've got a very young youth group. So my son's the oldest at this point. He's 15, um, just turned 15. So um, we don't have uh, – our youth workers are all volunteer. Um, 
and we're we're learning as we go uh, with with this stuff. And we've got some unique factors going on too. We've kind of got different pockets of groups in the church. I guess any church has that for the most part. Um, but that's been one of our challenges. If you're just talking about cultural identity, is uh, we've kind of started a new ministry in the town next door to where our church is. Uh, so we've kind of got two groups going on, and we're trying to work them together. But that's been you know difficult because of geography and time and life schedule and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not even going into the pandemic stuff right now, right? Um, mm-hmm. All the challenges that has that has put upon us. Um, so yeah, after in, so it's taken 14 years to come to the point where we have you know a group um, of youth uh, and kids. You know, for a long time we have you know we had a lot of college students being close to the, the the college here, so that's an important part of our our ministry as well. But not as much recently um, in the last several years actually, uh, as as we've really grown in in the kid area. So talk to me a little bit about the anchor. I oh, would sure, love yeah. to hear a little bit more about that because I know that's been a huge tool and a huge yeah. ministry for your church. Yeah, so the ministry we started in the town next door is an addiction and recovery ministry. And it was about four years ago where, well, for a long time, I had sensed a kind of a call, not just to that town, but particularly to, to addiction and recovery ministry. Um, it was in 2007 on Christmas Eve that uh, a young father uh, in our church overdosed and died. And that just set me on a path of researching, going to community meetings, trying to find out, you know, what the scene was like these days. You know, my image of, of drugs came out of, you know, like mid to late 1980s, crack, cocaine, a media image that I found out to be absolutely wrong and not the actuality of what was going on in the mid 2000s and, and into 2010s. Is that how you say that, Caleb? How do you say, how do you say the decade of the 2000s? Oh, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. 2005 through... You know, these days, it's not like you see, you know, on, on television and, and anybody is impacted, can be impacted um, and quickly addicted because the drugs these days are highly addictive. And I'm not just talking about street drugs. I'm talking about prescription drugs. Drugs that, are no respecter of social class. Uh, absolutely. And, and there, there is something since we're in, <laughs> we're in, we're in kind of a, a race situation. And there is something to be said, um, though, that most people know about drugs now, particularly opiates, and we're all fighting together. But we didn't for a long time until the drugs hit, the drug problem hit the suburbs, uh, which is actually a race conversation. Really? Yeah, it's pretty um, interesting how uh, in the 1980s and early 1990s, well, actually pretty much all the 90s, you know, drugs uh, were talked about as a crime, which they are um, in, certain, in certain ways, if, if you know the laws. Um, but when, when drugs started, the drug addiction really started getting into, you know, the white suburbs, then it became an epidemic hmm. um, and the words and language changed. So there's, there's, there's a whole lot to talk about there. I don't want to leave it out, but you're right. Um, and the, especially because prescription drugs became so highly addictive and so much more powerful than they were 30, 40 years ago. I mean, we've, you know, we've seen kids have a football injury that, you know, prescribed uh, an intense painkiller. Um, that immediately become addicted to whatever the opiate is um, and go, goes down a path that no one would ever expect um, just because of that, that prescription. Um, and that doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to some people. Um, so anyway, I got into all this, this stuff and, and then fast forward to, it took many years of, you know, in other situations where people were kind of stumbling in church looking for help, whatever else we said, you know what, enough with our thoughts and prayers. Um, I mean, we're going to stop praying for people but we need to do something more than just say, I'll pray for you. And so, yeah, 
we started this ministry. We've got a building in the town. We hired a full-time uh, associate pastor uh, whose story is pretty incredible in and of itself. Um, and yeah, for three years now, um, we've been doing this ministry. And it's really started an incredible community. That's one of the two groups now, right? We have our core church, and now we have this other, this other church community. And it's quickly becoming a church, which is kind of what we're wrestling through. Is okay, we're separate, but are we supposed to be together? We're wrestling through those things right now. But an incredible community. Before the pandemic hit, we had events every single night of the week there to help people um, through a variety of aspects of addiction. And, you know, that's changed a lot with the pandemic, right? We're trying to do as much as we can on Zoom, but we're all Zoomed out, right? Um, So, yeah, that's a significant part of our church at this point um, and definitely has shifted a lot of who we are and what we're doing. uh, And I'm still learning as we go. That's awesome. I know that doesn't particularly uh, relate to youth ministry in general, but I feel like we need to talk about it. It's something that all youth workers, youth pastors, youth volunteers. Yeah, it does though, Caleb. Be aware. It's significantly as we decided when we finally started our youth group um, and then after that a kids club that we were going to do it at that building instead of at our chapel. Really? Uh, yeah. So all, all of our youth group kids go to the building in the other town in Hull. The name of the town is Hull. And we, that was on Sunday nights. And because, you know, addiction uh, starts with an individual, um, but the reverberations are quick and strong through the family, through the whole household. Um, and so, you know, our, our social pastor, Pastor Kurt, um, he deals a lot with, you know, helping kids understand what their mom or dad or sister are going through. I mean, it, it's not something <laughs> you can really hide. And so, you know, there's a lot of shame involved, mm-hmm. um, a lot of uh, just different emotions and feelings. And um, w- one of our most active, powerful groups before the pandemic, I'm just going to stop saying before the pandemic, okay? Uh, one of our most active groups was um, a group called Family Afterwards. And it's a support group for people who have a family member who is either currently going through addiction and or recovery or someone who's even died. Um, and that group quickly, I mean, second week grew from 12 to 40. Um, and so it's a huge ministry to, to reach out to family members and, and kids. And there are other, you know, there are other organizations and ministries we work with that, you know, they have different meetings as well for particularly some exactly for youth and not just kids who are getting into addiction though we do some some of that as well but just kids who's been affected by someone else's addiction so it does relate that's awesome and that's an awesome resource just to have available so guys if i don't i didn't ask you about this but if you'd be okay could i include the link to this to this ministry to your ministry absolutely oh for sure so friends the link to this ministry will be in the show notes so what got you into ministry i know you're not directly related to youth ministry but what got you into ministry yeah so i started college at at eastern nazarene college um i wanted to be actually i guess this relates i wanted to be a high school history teacher Hmm. um i had just come out of high school like you often do when you go to college um and i loved my ap u.s history courses um and so i was like you know what that's what i'm gonna do um i'm passionate about that and so you know i started the education degree started the history uh, portion of it. And then um, in my sophomore year, just felt like, um, well, I went to a service, a church service, right? Uh, it's a good th- things happen to church services sometimes. Um, and I was sitting in the back, I remember, I mean, literally the back row. And I just felt, I just felt like I needed to go into ministry, uh, particularly, actually, the call came for me to, I knew I was supposed to go to seminary, it's kind of an interesting path, but 
was like, I didn't know why actually. I was like, I'm supposed to go to seminary. That's what I felt. Um, and then actually at that time I thought I was going to be going into foreign missions. Um, and so I actually signed up for a mission trip, a short-term mission trip with, with the school. We went to Guyana, um, and had a great time there, but actually it was in Guyana sitting beside a river. I just had a great conversation with a mentor there and another conversation with one of the locals there. And it became clear as day to me that I was supposed to be a pastor. Um, again, um, I never heard the audible voice of God, but I just knew, I knew that's what God was saying to me. And so that was the initial, you know, the initial call uh, into ministry. I came back, I gave up the, the ed degree. I got a minor in education. I did a lot of education classes just to get a minor, but I think that has served me, right? I do think that that has served me well. Um, and I actually, <laughs> I didn't even talk about this yet. I actually finished with a math degree. That's what I had to graduate with was a math degree. I'm not sure how much that has served me, but uh, nonetheless, and then went to seminary. Um, and so that, that's, I mean, there are many other pieces to it. I am a PK. My dad's a pastor. Um, I can relate to that. All that kind of stuff. But that, that was when a decision was made for me. And I, you know, I've, there've been twists and turns and, you know, um, but I know for sure right now that this is where God has me in pastoral ministry. Now, if you could sit down and write a letter to yourself back when you first started in the pastoral ministry, what mm. would it say? Mm. That's a great question, Caleb. Um, you know, I do look back, you know, sometimes I, 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 I started my email address right when I got into my pastor email address, right when I got to the church and, and it's a Google, a Gmail address. And so I can go back and look at all these conversations and stuff. I used to, you know, the things I focused on and, you know, I could get caught up sometimes in, you know, making a website, which you, you need to have a website or, or, you know, some program or some great idea. Social uh, media now. Yeah, it's just something that, you know, oh man, this is what I'm supposed to do because everyone else is doing it. And it's going to revolutionize my ministry or whatever else it is. And I'm not saying to completely ignore those things, but remember that the central heart of being a pastor is to take care of people, to preach to people, to teach people. Um, as Jesus says, to, to be an integral part of, of feeding his sheep. And so I would say to myself, you know, spend more time in the beginning with the people. Um, get to know it. And you know what? I'll definitely say this to myself. You're going to get things wrong. It's okay to get things wrong. Because um, I'm definitely a perfect perfectionist. I'm that person. This is, hey, this is confession time, Caleb. All right? So go easy on me. But I... I I'm not saying a word. I avoid, um, I avoid failure. You know? I avoid um, looking bad. All these, you know, I'm a perfectionist. And so I would tell myself, it's okay. You know, it's okay to, to try something and mess up. And just, you know, when that happens, pick yourself up and, and go and, and, and try something else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, go ahead and preach that word. Um, and as Paul says, if you find out later that, you know, you're, you're wrong on that thing, the Lord will let you know. And then lean into the grace of God. Um, so it's, you know, it's okay to make mistakes, I would, I would tell myself. It's, it's also okay to, to rest, um, to take Sabbath. I think actually, you know, I, I knew that early on, but it still was hard for me to, to practice it, right? Because you got all these voices going on in your head of, oh, I got to do this, got to do that, and didn't respond to that email yet, and you know, all those things. But it's okay to turn everything off. In fact, not only is it okay, um, it's essential. Um, this is what we see Jesus do. There's small snippets in the Gospels, but we see Jesus over and over again. Mark tells us, Luke tells us, uh, and he went off and by himself and prayed. And he went and climbed a mountain and was alone. Or he took a couple of close 
his closest disciples and spent time alone. We, we tend to focus on the, the big, you know, signs and miracles and, and the teachings. And, and that's true. We, you know, of course that, but the gospels demonstrate to us that Jesus, even Jesus himself took time to shut it all out, to escape the crowd. That's some of the language we see in the gospels to get away from the crowd. Um, and if Jesus felt the need to do that, why on earth wouldn't each one of us? So I tell myself, you know, shut it off. Uh, do not disturb. Go for the bike ride. Get on the floor and play with that child. Uh, take the dog for a walk, whatever else it is, uh, and leave the phone at home. Important words. And I think, I think it's also important to say that this also applies to volunteers too. It applies to everyone that is involved in ministry. It applies to every Christian, really. Um, but it's of vital importance when you're a leader um, because people, as you know, people are good life suckers and, you know, they, they suck the life out of you. And um, life is given to us by God. Mm-hmm. And so we need to find those times when we can just, just, just drink in deeply from God, God's self yes. um, and leave people to the side. It feels unpastoral, right? It feels unpastoral to say, get away from the people. Um, but it's not to get away from them to escape forever but so that you're better charged for the next time you're with them. So what keeps you motivated in ministry? What keeps that, I don't say that fire, that drive, because it's God's call in our life, but what reminds you every day? Yeah. Um, listen, this is, this is Sunday school answer. All right. Uh, we're talking, we're talking kindergarten Sunday school answer here, but it absolutely for me is Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much um, junk in the church. Um, there's so much, dis- so many distractions in life. For me, you know, I, I, when I see the story and narrative of Jesus and the person of Christ, that's what I want to give my life to. Um, not just individually, but as a leader. Um, th- there's, you know, I love, I love the Old Testament. I love Paul, but, um, and I'm on dangerous ground here now, Caleb. I know this. Oh, no. But the Gospels, the Gospels are where it's at for me. Because um, in the Gospels are where I find Christ um, in, in, in the greatest essence of his, of his person. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I think of this man who just was able to, to live out true sacrificial love, um, I want to see more of that in the areas in, over which I have influence in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even as I think about what's going on, has been going on with the pandemic and, and with conversations surrounding race and, um, and, and even just politics and media and everything, everything. Um, I, I can very quickly get upset, right? And, and think I know what needs to be said or what needs to happen. But it's always when I, when I think and remember our, our center, uh, Christ, that that's when I get excited, challenged inspired, sometimes frustrated, but most often inspired to keep going. Um, and then just as a kind of a corollary to that, it is the church. I know I've, I've, I've said this, the church is very distracted and there's a lot of junk in the church, but the body of Christ, right? So we got Christ and, and the body of Christ makes, it makes me excited, motivated to, to create a community, to encourage a community that is focused and centered around Christ as we become the body of Christ and all the different things that, that are involved in that. Uh, sacraments and service and compassion and um and living by the spirit so christ and his body uh those are the two i know i know that's like very simple like nothing deep there um but that honestly that's it for me it's a good reminder not everything has to be complicated 
not everything is complicated. In fact, you know, Christ himself is pretty simple. He's profound, but he's pretty simple. Um, it's not simple to always live it out. Uh, but what does he ask of you, oh mortal, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. So you touched on it there. You touched on this next question a little bit. So how do you avoid burning? Yeah. Um, I think for me, and this is going to be different for different people, right? Because I'm sure there are people who are single listening. There are people who, you know, maybe married with no kids. So listen, I'm not saying this is the answer for everybody. You've got to find it for yourself. But for me, my family, my home, how I make my home, uh, my kids are the life of God to me. I'm reminded daily of who God is as God the Father, um, what faith like a child looks like, what grace my wife teaches me about grace just by how she lives. I don't, I don't think without barely ever using that word, she teaches me what grace is. And, you know, it's, it's been learning and it's, it's, it'll always, I'll be learning it till I die. And I think everyone needs to acknowledge that. But learning to, to again, shut things off, to, to realize that it's not only is it okay to enjoy life, you know, sometimes in ministry, we think if I'm not struggling, I'm not doing it right. Well, okay, that's going to happen sometimes. But it's okay to enjoy life. That's why God set us in the garden in the first place. Um, that's why God gave us companions in the first place. Um, to enjoy creation. Animals, if it's a pet for you, that's fine. Okay, right? To enjoy what God, the good things that God has food. <laughs> it's okay. You don't want to overindulge. Because uh, that's part of avoiding burnout, actually. Um, but to enjoy things that God has given us, the goodness of life and creation. Let me tell a, real, a story real quick. I don't know if I'm going too long or not. Go for it. I, I was in Israel for my sabbatical in 2013. And, you know, for me, you go to Israel and you expect to see all these crazy, you know, sights and, you know, walk where Jesus walked and, you know, Jerusalem and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where supposedly Jesus died and rose again. And then there's other places too. And all these, I, was, I had it all mapped out. And I just, I was surprised when I was in some of these very touristy places now that I wasn't feeling anything. I was disappointed by that. So this one Sunday afternoon, we actually went to the Church of the Nazarene in Nazareth. Um, so I went to the Nazarene Church of the Nazarene, by the way, which is really kind of, anyway, you can think about that one, Caleb. Let's say that's a, uh, <laughs> a tongue right there. <laughs> There's re actually only one true Nazarene church in the Church of the Nazarene. It's in Nazareth. But nonetheless, um, it was an incredible worship service. Um, and God spoke to me in that service um, powerfully. It was in Arabic. It's an Arabic con congregation, and so it helped me with a whole number of things in life just to hear the gospel in Arabic. Not that I understood what they were saying word for word, but I understood, that, oh, man, the gospel being preached here, Christ is here. Um, and I didn't expect that. God showed up in a place I didn't expect. Um, and then that afternoon, we drove up to um, Capernaum. And I don't know if you guys remember, but Capernaum is the place where Jesus chose to kind of be his home base during his ministry, right? So he was born in Bethlehem, right? Grew up in Nazareth, died in Jerusalem. But during his ministry, his home base was Capernaum. And Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee. It's on the very northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. And I'm, I was with my father and my father-in-law, by the way, for this trip. And we decided just to take some time. And we sat. There were some benches by the water there. There was a little monastery there. And they set up a place where people could sit. And there was no one else there, barely. Um, not like crowded Jerusalem, the tourists, all the tourists and stuff. And we just sat for what felt like hours and hours. I think it was only like two hours. But we just sat there. And we watched the waves roll in. And there were people on jet skis and stuff and fishing. And 
and I literally saw fish jumping all over the place. Caleb, you would have loved it. All these fish jumping. Um, and the birds are flying and, and the mountains over on the, on the west as we're looking south and their mountain kind of hills over on the right and the sun is beginning to set. And I'm like, man, this is an incredibly beautiful place. This is where Jesus chose to put his home. Like in my mind, you know, Jesus would have chosen the hardest place to live, right? Out in the desert, there's no water or something. Um, but something hit me in that moment that even for Jesus, you know, who, when he was going to return home, he was going to return home to some, some place that restored his soul um, that he could enjoy. And that's where, by the way, Peter is, uh, sorry, Capernaum is where Peter was from. Um, and so where he could visit, you know, you know, with friends and stuff. So I really learned something in that, that as much as Jesus was a sacrificial person and, and gave up his life, um, he enjoyed creation. He loved kids, right? Uh, he, he, he used the birds of the field as illustrations all the time. So it's okay to enjoy these things. And I think that's part of, of, of avoiding uh, depression and to realize the goodness that's around us, even amidst all the badness that's there, which we also have to acknowledge. But enjoy that apple, you know? Enjoy fishing or, or creation, however you can creation. So anyway, I'm preaching now way too long. No, that's great. It's a great reminder. So again, you touched on it again, even before I could ask the question, but what gives you life? What excites you right now? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when this is going to air, Caleb, but of course, when we're recording this, we're in the midst of, of these conversations and protests surrounding um, race and uh, what's happening with our black and brown brothers and sisters. And I just think I have to say right now, Caleb, that there are times where, you know, we have to put our foot down and it won't be fun. Um, and I think we often, I shouldn't say often, because this is all new to us, right? Maybe not, maybe not the, uh, the racism conversations, but the pandemic. Uh, there are moments where, you know, we just have to set our face towards Jerusalem, is what happens with Jesus in the Gospels. Um, he, there's a part where he knows he's, he knows he's headed to Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And there's no joy. <laughs> there's no joy in that. Um, and he just set his face and determined, okay, I'm following God the Father here. And I think there are times we can do that. And I think I'm in a time like that right now that I know it's not going to be fun. I know there are going to be sacrifices. I know people are going to be upset with me for what I've got to say to them in a sermon. I know because I've experienced before people are going to leave, right? Or um, they're not going to understand. And I'll do my best with them as pastor. But there are times when we're just called to be prophet. And I think I'm in one of those moments right now. And so it doesn't excite me. Um, to think of people getting upset. Remember what I said earlier about not enjoying conflict and, and failure and stuff like that. But I think I'm in one of those moments right now. But I will say, you know, we're, we're having some conversations about who our church is. Um, the pandemic has given us all an opportunity to, to reframe, right, and to think again about what we do. Um, honestly, the thought of going back to how we used to do Sunday mornings in my church after the pandemic um, bores me. <laughs> and so I'm excited about thinking about how we might do church differently from here on out. And so I'm actually kind of working on a, on a vision plan right now. Um, that part is exciting me, but in the midst right here, I'm kind of focused on, on the conversations surrounding race and such. So they're different seasons, right? I mean, diff different seasons. Uh, and I think right now I'm in one that isn't too exciting, but I know what I have to do. Yes. So what books are you reading currently? So I'm in a doctoral program, right? So we're talking two books a week right now. Um, and then pieces of many other books. 
so I'm reading a lot, but I'll highlight one I think that was very applicable to um, to the moment. And there's a book called it's not it's not a, written by a Christian author. Um, it's a book called Forged in Crisis, and uh, it's written by a Harvard uh, business professor. Yeah, Harvard business professor. Uh, her last name is Cohn, K-O-E-H-N. I think I'm saying that right. I know I spelled it right because I wrote it 15 million times in my paper. Um, but yeah, it's all it is is it's um, five it's sketches of five leaders from history. Um, so it's very narrative, and but it particularly looks at their lives in light of how they led during a crisis. Um, so we're talking about Ernest Shackleton. I don't know if you know who that is, but or, or Abraham Lincoln. I hope you know who that is. I do. Uh, <laughs> Frederick Douglass. Uh, Rachel Carson, and the one that hit me hard, um, again, was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, and she does go into quite a bit into his faith because it was why he did any, anything he did. Um, and that has fed my soul. Again, I, I've loved Bonhoeffer for a long time. Uh, for those who don't know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the very few uh, Christian pastors in Nazi Germany who said, no, <laughs> no, I will not do that. And he ended up being uh, killed in the concentration camp for it. Um, and so in the midst of you know, a pandemic in the midst of protests and riots and all of this, I've been drawing deeply from what I read about Bonhoeffer. And I'll just give two examples real quick because they relate to your previous question. When Bonhoeffer was in, in prison awaiting trial, there are accounts of him, uh, he would just do laps in his cell. And by laps, I mean very short, right? Um, but he felt it very important to stay physically fit, um, to face the trial ahead of him. He didn't know what was going to come, what was going to happen. And so, I mean, and, and people knew what he was doing because he taught it in the seminary he taught in and all throughout his life, staying fit, you know, going for a walk, long walks with people and um, making sure that he was healthy. And he did that even in his prison cell. And, and that, I don't know, I just, I keep thinking about that um, throughout all this time. You know, we're, we're kind of in prison at home. <laughs> we're not like him. I don't mean to, to downplay what happened with him, yeah. but, you know, we're, we're cooped up. Um, and still yet we have opportunity to, to take care uh, of ourselves. And of course, the second thing from that book I drew was just, you know, you know what's right, O mortal, to, to, to do justice, to walk humbly before your God, um, and so do it. And yeah, you might, you might, you know, lose a lot. You probably will lose a lot. Um, he lost his life. Um, but that's, yeah, so that story, you just asked about a book. Um, that one killed me. And just one more suggestion in terms of the race stuff. I've read again, um, Austin Channing Brown's, um, I'm still here, um, black dignity in a world made for whiteness, a very difficult read. I had to put that book down and yell at her sometimes. Um, but it was cause I disagreed with her. In fact, I still disagree with some of what she says, but it, it opened my eyes, uh, um, quite a bit to a number of things and helped me understand a little bit better. Not that I don't completely understand everything when it comes to race, uh, or, or blackness. Uh, but she helped me a lot. Um, through that book. So it's called I'm Still Here um, by Austin Channing Brown. So what sort of advice would you give to church leaders today? <laughs> um, wow, that's a pretty broad question. Well, um, it's a loaded question, but give us your best off-the-cuff advice maybe for a youth leader than best off-the-cuff advice yeah. for a general yeah, leader. Whether it's somebody that volunteers in the youth in the youth department or somebody that leads a Sunday school class. Sure, I got one because I think it's, it applies to all this, and especially teens right now. I'm, I'm trying to practice this with my own kids. Be a good listener. 
learn, and we're not talking about you know, learn, listening takes practice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't, I'm an introvert, which means I hate one-on-one stuff, but I love being in a pulpit. Right. So you put me in front of a crowd of hundred, 200, 500 people. I'm fine there. I, I love that. But it, it takes work for me to sit one-on-one with somebody to, to remember to make eye contact, mm-hmm. to listen attentively, not just with my face, but actually with my ears and my brain where I'm actually taking in what they're saying. Right. Cause I'm, I'm a person who can, I mean, I can put on a great front. Right. Um, but it takes work for me to actually hear what somebody's saying. Um, and so, you know, there are books out there, there are, you know, things you can do to, to, to practice better listening, right? The big, Caleb, surely you remember this from class. The, the, the big title we often give people is be, be a non-anxious presence, right? You remember that? Non-anxious presence. I think I remember that. People. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a great way to think about it. Um, cause kids need that these days, right? They've got so much tension going on from a variety of things. They're learning new ways of doing school. Um, which don't really work too great, right? And, and you know, they've got their friend text groups, which can turn into major drama very, very quickly. And so I've just learned with my kids, sometimes all they need me to do is listen. And sometimes listening even just means sitting there together with them in silence, right? Where they're, maybe they're, you know, we're walking together or, you know, maybe they're even still on their phone, but somehow to remind them that you're with them and being that listening presence. That's youth, I, but I say the same thing for anybody, for adults, for kids. Kids just want to be listened. I was reflecting on this this morning. My, four, my three-year-old has a birthday coming up in, in two weeks. And the temptation for a four-year-old especially is just to go out and buy everything, right? You know, get the Elsa castle, every, everything. And I just, we're trying to practice, you know, not getting all this crap, right? All this stuff to fill the toy box that we just purged. And I thought, you know what? my daughter would be absolutely thrilled to just be on the floor with a pile of blocks with her daddy. Right. Because what she needs is a, uh, someone to be with her, uh, to be present with her, to, to hear her, to talk with her. Um, it'd be easy for me to just go buy the Elsa castle and all the little trinkets in it and set her off in a corner. I know she'd be fine there for an hour, but there's something much, much different about being with people and giving them, giving them your presence. That's what Jesus shows us over and over again. He didn't come up with some new program that's going to change the church. He sat with people and ate with them and listened to the woman at the well. And it just was constantly present in people's lives. So be a good listener, regardless of what ministry you're in. Be a good listener. That's encouraging. Um, Now we're down to our last question. How can we be praying for you and your ministry today? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot, but let me just focus on that one thing I briefly mentioned earlier. I am going through some envisioning right now as pastor. as some pretty, you know, you don't want to call your own ideas radical, but they would be radical for my church, right? Um, you know, reducing our time spent in worship and increasing our time spent in, in service and compassion and discipleship, even in fellowship, intentional fellowship. And so, you know, I'm praying through those kinds of things. Who is our church supposed to be now and after this pandemic, whatever after even means? None of us even know what that means. And so, yeah, pray for me as I, search for this this envisioning uh of who our church is supposed to be well let's just go before the father in prayer thanks uh lord i just want to say thank you thank you for the words of wisdom thank you for the ways that you show up in our life thank you for the ways you guide us thank you for the ways you direct us uh right now lord i just want to pray for uh jeremy as he looks at his ministry at his church lord i pray you would help him see the vision that you want him to see 
Lord, help him to act in a way that you call him to act. Help him to say the words that need to be said. Lord, thank you for the ways you are challenging us here in these days. So, Lord, help us to live into the calling that you are setting before us. Lord, help Jeremy to live into the calling that you are setting before him and how to adjust his church, how to help push them, help them grow in this new time period and new place that we find ourselves. Uh, Lord, we just want to say thank you for that. They may be hard times, but Lord, you are helping us grow whether we know it or not. So Lord, we just want to say thank you. Uh, We love you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us on What Do You Know? Uh, Thank you, Caleb. This has been a blessing to me, and I hope it's a blessing to everyone that finds this podcast and turns it on and listens to it. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Friends, be on the lookout for the next What Do You Know podcast. Drop a review. Share it with somebody that you think would benefit from it. Uh, The goal of this is to give all of you some rest and just to remind all of us why we got into ministry in the first place. Uh, The world's going crazy. I think it's time that we remember our call and what God has asked us to do. So friends, I will talk to you all later. Peace. Friends, as always, please feel free to share this podcast with somebody that you think may benefit from it. Again, I don't want this to be just a busy project and something that I do just to fill my own time, but rather I want to create a space for us as church leaders to think critically about what it means to follow our call and what it means to live into a life of service and a life of ministry in these days. Because these days are not easy, and I don't see them getting any easier. So I want us to think critically about what it means to lead in our churches, in our communities, and to love those around us. So friends, join us next week for another episode of What Do You Know? Blessings.